0: Are in the midst of a series of lessons I've simply entitled Amazing Grace. Our theme scripture for the series is Isaiah 30 and verse 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Living Bible paraphrases it this way. The Lord desires for you to come to him so he can show you his grace. God is a gracious God and he longs to extend His amazing grace to us. This morning we are going to focus on healing grace. How God works His miraculous healing touch in our broken and battered lives. And although there are many, many, many verses in the Bible that talk about God's healing grace, I've just chosen this one single verse for today's text. Psalm 147 verse 3. Look at it with me. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. What a great promise that is. He heals the brokenhearted. The Passion Translation words it like this He heals the wounds of every shattered heart. Certainly, each and every one of us experiences times in our lives where we're in need of God's healing touch, when our hearts are broken. And shattered when we're wounded by others when we're battered by the circumstances of life so how do we experience God's healing grace in our lives well I think the Bible offers five practical principles for us to apply in order for our lives to personally encounter God's healing touch let me give those to you this morning To experience God's healing grace in my life, first, I must avoid all remedies not in God's Word. I must avoid all remedies not in God's Word. You see, Jeremiah 46 and verse 11 says, You multiply remedies in vain, there is no healing for you. Applied to our hurt and pain, there are many popular so-called remedies that we try to soothe our broken hearts. The problem is that there is no healing value to these so-called solutions. What are some examples? Let me just name a few. Sometimes I run... When I'm hurt, I run from it. I I want to escape. I want to get away. In fact, sometimes, literally, I run. I think, if I could just run away from this situation, if I could just move from here to there and get a fresh start. But I fail to realize that when I run, when I move from here to there, I take my hurt and pain with me because it's a part of who I am. It doesn't work to run. Sometimes I retreat. (laughs) I withdraw within myself. I build a cocoon around myself. I isolate myself from others. I choose not to get out there because I don't want to risk getting hurt again. And so I withdraw into what I think is a safe place. But the problem is I don't get any better when I retreat. Sometimes I retaliate. I get mad. I get even. I seek revenge. If I could just get back at the person who hurt me, if I could just settle the score, if I could just make them pay. And, and I don't realize that when I have this attitude, when I'm consumed with this spirit of vengeance, then I'm digging an even deeper hole for myself. Because retaliation only makes things worse. Sometimes I resent. <laughs> I get bitter. I get angry at God. I get angry at life. I get angry at others. I get angry at myself. I don't even like myself. And I'm overcome with bitterness. Why is this happening to me? And I wallow in my misery and resentment. And sometimes I resign. I quit. (laughs) I just give up. I mean, who gives a rip anyway? And the bottom line is that these popular remedies don't bring any healing to our hurt and pain. They just don't work. In fact, they only make matters worse. So first, to experience God's healing grace in my life, I must avoid all remedies not found in God's Word, the Bible. Second, to experience God's healing grace in my life, I must abandon my hurt and pain at God's throne. I must abandon my hurt and pain at God's throne. Let's read Hebrews 4 and verse 16 out loud together. Would you read this with me? Let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there is grace. There we can find mercy and grace to help us when we need it. Simply put, we can bring our broken and battered lives, all of our hurt and our pain to God's throne in prayer and He promises that in doing so He will extend His healing grace to us. But here's our problem, quite frankly. So many times when we take our hurt and pain to God, we lay our burden down, we only pick it right back up again. We, we take it with us instead of leaving it there with Him. Could I be a little candid here? Some of us don't want to be healed. Sure, we don't like feeling battered and broken hearted, but in reality we're afraid to break free of that bondage. We don't like our hurt and pain, but at least it's something we know. It's become so much of who we are that we're actually comfortable wallowing in the misery of it. And we're afraid of what life would be like if we were healed because it's uncharted territory for us. And so we choose to stay right where we are and we're stuck. We're paralyzed. And we're unable to move past that hurt and pain. And therefore, we may pray for God's healing grace, but we're actually afraid to let go. We lay our burdens at God's feet, but then we're very quick to pick them back up again and try to fix it ourselves. Look at Psalm 30 in verse 2. Oh Lord, my God, I call to You for help and You heal me. You see God's healing grace is ours if we' just call to him, if we will abandon our hurt and pain at the throne of grace, God says, "I'm ready to take that that hurt that pain from you. He is saying, "Trust me, let it go. My healing grace is for you. And so second, to experience God's healing grace in my life, I must abandon my hurt and pain at God's throne. Third, to experience God's healing grace in my life, I must adjust my thinking. To God's thinking. I must adjust my thinking to God's thinking. Now I want to spend a little more time on this one because I think it's so important. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 reminds us of this truth. As a person thinks in his heart, so is he. Which simply says that what I that I am what I think. So if I think I'm a loser, then I'm going to tend to be a loser in my life. If I see myself as a victim, then I'm going to put myself in situations where I will actually be victimized. If I see myself as a failure, then I will actually sabotage whatever I do to ensure that it fails. It's very simple. The Bible says that our beliefs determine... Our behavior. What we think influences the way we act or behave. The problem here is that much of our thinking about ourselves is wrong. Over the years, we picked up all kinds of mistaken beliefs about who we are. You ever been to one of those carnival fun houses? Where they have those weird mirrors? Do you know what I'm talking about? You stand in front of those mirrors... What did you see when you look in that mirror? Well, it sort of looked like you. (laughs) Kind of. But it was a little taller. Uh, The knees were up here. (laughs) Or, God forbid, it was a little wider than what you wanted it to be. It was you, but it wasn't a true reflection of who you are. Now carry that over to your real life. Because growing up, the adults around us were our mirrors. And we tended to accept whatever they said as a true reflection of us. So if they said, you're never going to amount to anything, we filed that away in our belief system. If they said, you're a dumb klutz, yeah, we began to think of ourselves as a dumb klutz. The problem is that some of us even in our later years, we are still living our lives. Some of us are still behaving based upon the distorted image that was given to us years ago. So, what's the solution? Well, we need to change the way we think. Let's read Romans 12 and verse 2 out loud together. Would you read this with me? Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now the NIV simply puts it, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, by changing the way we think, by changing the way we see God, by changing the way that we view our hurt and our pain, by changing the way that we perceive ourselves, we actually change and transform our lives. What matters is not what others think of us or even what we think of ourselves. What matters is what God thinks of us. Why? Because God, what God thinks of us is not distorted. You hear me? It's the truth. How He sees us is a true reflection of who we are. The Bible is in fact a mirror of the true image of what we're really like. And the Bible tells us that because of His grace, God sees us. Well, let let me just give you a few images. First, when God looks at me, He says, I am acceptable. I'm acceptable. That's a pretty good place to start because most of us spend our entire lives trying to be accepted by others. We want to be acceptable to our parents, to our teachers, to our spouse, to our employer, to our peers, to our neighbors, to strangers, even to our enemies. The desire to be accepted is what drives the way that we dress, the kind of car that we drive, the house that we live in, the career that we choose, and much, much, much more in life. We'll do just about anything to be accepted by others. Romans 15, verse 7 simply says, Christ accepted you. (laughs) I like that. No strings attached, no conditions added. God's acceptance of us is unconditional because it is based upon His grace and not our performance. Romans 11 verses 5 and 6 puts it this way, Christians are chosen by the grace of God. And if it is a matter of the grace of God, it cannot be a question of their actions, especially deserving of God's favor, for that would make grace meaningless. Again, God chose us by His grace, not because of who we are or what we have done. I mean, isn't it great to be chosen? (laughs) I choose you, God says. That is so amazing. I choose you. I am acceptable. The second thing God says about me is that I am valuable. I am valuable. Because of God's grace, I'm worth something. (laughs) Now, how much do you think that you are worth? Now, I'm not talking here about your net worth. I'm talking about your self-worth. You do understand that net worth has absolutely nothing to do with self-worth. Our value is not based upon our valuables. Got to get that correct. So how do we judge self-worth? The true value of a person. Well, how do you judge the value of anything for that matter? Two questions. First, who owns it? And second, how much is someone willing to pay for it? Well, let's apply that here. Think about that for a minute. First, the value of something is determined by who owns it. For example, a car that was owned and driven by Elvis is worth a whole lot more than the car you drive. <laughs> Why? Because of who owns it. And I can tell you that LeBron James's tennis shoes are worth a whole lot more than Mark Leeper's tennis shoes. Why? Because of who owns them. The fact is the owner of something can actually add value to it. So who owns us? To whom do we belong? First John 4 verse 4 says you belong to God. Wow. God is our owner. And I can't think of anyone who is higher than Him. He owns me and that lends incredible value to who I am. And second, the value of something is determined by how much someone's willing to pay for it. An example would be your house. Your house is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. You may list it on the market for X amount of dollars, but if someone isn't willing to pay that for it, guess what? It's not worth that much. Or take a piece of art. It's only worth the current market value of what someone would pay for that art so how much is someone willing to pay for us 1 Corinthians 7.23 says God paid a great price for you (laughs) and what was that great price it was the price of his own son Jesus Christ who died in our place and paid the price for our sin in essence God said you are so valuable to me that I am willing to give my one and only son in exchange for you (laughs) wow I'm valuable. The third thing God says about me is that I am lovable. I am lovable. That truth sure feels good when you've got a broken heart. When someone has rejected us, a spouse, a parent, a child, a friend, it's pretty easy for us to start thinking to ourselves, I must be nobody. Nobody loves me. And if that's how you're th- feeling this morning, look at Isaiah 54 and verse 10. The mountains and hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. So says the Lord who loves you. That <laughs> great verse. There are two characteristics about God's love that I think differentiate it from human love. First of all, God's love is unfailing. God's love is unfailing. Failing, it never ends there is never hear hear this there is never going to be a day when God walks out on you he will never ever forsake you his love is unfailing number two his love is unconditional there are no strings attached to it there are no disclaimers written in fine print God's love is given to us by his grace just because he decided to love us He doesn't say, I'll love you if you do this or that. He doesn't say, I love you because you are this or you are that. No, He just says, I love you. And there's nothing you could ever do, don't miss this, there's nothing you can ever do that would make God love you any more or any less than He does right now. His love is unconditional. Unconditional. Okay, so God says, I'm acceptable, I'm valuable, I'm lovable. Next, He says, I am forgivable. I am forgivable. Now, I really, really need this one. Anybody else out there need this one? (laughs) All of us make mistakes. All of us sin. All of us do wrong. But all of us are forgivable. Sometimes we forget that. Reminds me of the story of the guy who was driving up to his cabin up here in the Sequoias It was a time for him to get away. He wasn't having very good luck in his life. Things were going from bad to worse. He just needed that weekend away. He was on his way up the mountain. He had just turned on the little dirt road to head up the steep hill to his cabin when wouldn't you know it, he ran out of gas. So he parked his car. And he got out and he thought to himself, well, I'll just walk the remaining couple of miles. It's not that far. He'd gone about 100 yards further up the road. When he heard a noise, he looked back. He'd forgotten to set his emergency brake. His car rolled down the hill, off the cliff, and crashed at the bottom of the cliff below. He hung his head, thinking to himself, man, it just can't get any worse, when it started to rain. He got soaked to the skin and cold to the bones. And just when he thought that he couldn't take any more, he rounded the last corner and he saw his cabin up ahead. And hope sprung in his heart as he said to himself, Good, at least now I can get a hot shower and sit by a warm fire. And no sooner had he said this than lightning struck his cabin and burned it to the ground. And he fell on his knees and he cried out, God, why me? And in the thunder he heard God's voice, because some people just ticked me off. Now I tell that joke, you do realize that is a joke, right? I tell that joke because that's how some of us mistakenly feel about God. Every time something goes wrong in our lives, we think God must be punishing us for some mistake that we have made. But is that the way that God treats His children? Is that the way that God thinks of us? No. Isaiah 43, verse 25, I am the God who forgives your sins, and I do this because you deserve it. Is that what it says? No, that's not what God says. He says, I do this because of who I am. Because of his character, because of his grace. Forgiveness, you see, has nothing to do with us, it has everything to do with him. And then the verse ends with that incredible promise I will not hold your sins against you. Write this down in your lesson notes there. God doesn't hold grudges. God doesn't hold grudges. Some of us need to be reminded of that today. I am forgivable. One more thing that God says about me. One more way that God looks at me. And that is that I am capable. I am capable. Philippians 4 verse 13 reminds us, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I love the way the Amplified Bible expands on that same verse. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Would you read this with me? I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who infuses inner strength into me. That is, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I love that last phrase. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Folks, don't listen to those voices pastor present who may tell you that you're never going to amount to anything or that you'll never be able to do this or that. That's what other people may think of you, but that's not what God thinks of you. By His grace, He sees you as one who is capable of doing everything that you need to do through Christ who gives you that inner strength. So all of our lives, some of us have been listening to what others think about us. And we're confused. We have this distorted image of who we are. So what's the solution? Well, we need to listen to the truth. We, we need to fill our minds with what God thinks of us. He says to me, I am acceptable, I am valuable, I am lovable, I am forgivable, I am capable. Maybe some of us need to take a 3x5 card and write all those down and put that card on the dashboard of our car or on the mirror in our bathroom or at our desk at work so that we'll see it again and again and again and again and again. So third, to experience God's healing grace in my life, I must adjust my thinking to God's thinking. Fourth, I must accept wise counsel from God's people. In order to experience God's healing grace in my life, I must accept wise counsel from God's people. Now, when we studied sustaining grace a couple of lessons ago, we emphasized that God's grace is often dispensed through God's people. We are all, in fact, grace dispensers. And therefore, when it comes to experiencing God's healing grace in our lives, we need the wise counsel of other Christ followers around us. Look at these two Proverbs. Proverbs 12, verse 18. The words of the wise bring what? Healing. Yeah. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. So let me urge you, don't run... Don't retreat in your hurt and pain. I know that's what we're tempted to do. We really are. But don't do it. Don't withdraw and isolate yourself. Make yourself reach out to others. Intentionally get out of the house and purposely connect with others in the church. Get involved in a small group Bible study. Come to the monthly potlucks. Participate in the ladies' luncheon this Saturday or the men's breakfast in June. Just just make yourself get out of your little cocoon and connect. At the very time when you feel like it the least is when you need to do it the most. Enough said. So for to experience God's healing grace in my life, I must accept wise counsel from God's people. And finally, to experience God's healing grace in my life, I must attend to others' needs with God's grace. I must attend to others' needs with God's grace. Grace. The step before had to do with us receiving God's grace in our lives from those around us. This step has to do with giving God's grace to others. To attend to others' needs with God's grace. And I say that and I can just hear somebody say, Whoa, wait a minute here. We're talking about my hurt and pain. We're talking about my wounds. We're talking about my need for grace. How in the world can I attend to others' needs when I myself need God's healing grace in my own life? I want to share a couple of verses with you. And then I want to share a key principle out of those verses. So, read uh, 1 Corinthians, Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4 out loud. Let's read this together. All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, He brings us along someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Did you get that? Here's the key principle. I've had to learn this over the years. Personally, when I am discouraged, when I am broken hearted, I discipline myself to go out and visit somebody else who needs encouragement. I go and dispense grace to someone in the hospital. I go and dispense grace to someone who is lonely or homebound. I go and dispense grace to someone that I know is hurting. Sometimes I don't feel like I have very much that I can give, if anything at all. But when I get in that situation, God empowers me to give grace out of His grace to me. And guess, by the way, who comes away the most blessed? (laughs) I do. Because when I'm ministering grace to someone else, God pours out His healing grace on me. I'll just be frank about this some of us need to get out of the whirlpool of our misery we need to leave our pity party and we need to get out and we need to find someone else who is hurting and we need to dispense grace to them because when you do that you would be amazed at how much of God's healing grace is dispensed to you in that act of giving grace to others So fifth, to experience God's healing grace in my life, I must attend to others' needs with God's grace. Amazing grace. This morning we've taken a closer look at what the Bible says about God's healing grace, how God works His miraculous healing touch in our broken and battered lives. And we've offered these five practical biblical solutions for experiencing God's healing grace. Number one, I must avoid all remedies not found in God's Word, the Bible, because frankly, they just don't work. Number two, I must abandon my hurt and pain at God's throne in prayer. I actually need to let it go and leave it there. And third, I must adjust my thinking to God's thinking. Quit thinking of myself as others have seen me and said that I am. And start thinking of myself as God sees me. And fourth, I must accept wise counsel from God's people at the very time when we are tempted the most to withdraw. That is the very time that we need to get in to the circle of believers even more. Because we need their grace. I need you. You need me. We all need each other. And number five, I must attend to others' needs with God's grace. Get out there and minister the grace of God to others because as I pour out grace to other people, God pours His grace into me. Healing grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this message that we needed to hear this morning. There's so many of us who just need a touch of Your healing grace right now. You're ready to heal. You've said so again and again. I pray for that healing grace. As we put into practice these very practical biblical principles, In our lives, God, pour out your healing grace upon us. Heal the brokenhearted. Bind up the wounds of those who are hurting. Hearts that are shattered and broken, you're the expert, God, at repairing those. And so I ask for just a special extra measure of your healing grace upon us this day.